Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Nehemiah chapter number one, the book of Nehemiah and chapter number one. We're in a series here in the middle of the week, simply entitled The Good Work. The good work. This is taken from Nehemiah chapter 2. You don't need to go there, but it's verse number 18. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. God has given to you and God has given to me a good work that's to be done. Perhaps it's a, a good work with your family. Maybe it's a good work in your marriage. Maybe it's a good work at Uh, your place of employment. Maybe it's a good work with your friends or relatives. Maybe it's a good work right here at this church. God has given each of us a good work. And so what we're looking at in the book of Nehemiah is exactly what Nehemiah says. How can we strengthen our hands for the good work that God has given us to do? And Nehemiah lays down some wonderful principles for which we should work into our hearts, into our lives, To say, Lord, I want to do the work that you have given me to do. Now, here's what I know. I may not know the exact work that you have been given, but I know this, that in in your work, you will be faced with, with, with some kind of challenge, some kind of decision, some kind of struggle, maybe a temptation of sorts. And in order for you and I to know what we are to do, how we are to accomplish this work in light of this challenge or temptation or decision, and in order for us to receive the encouragement that we need in order to finish the work, we're looking at God's word and saying, show us this. Nehemiah gives us one of those principles this evening. You're going to see this, our, our ability to finish the good work that God has given us to do is determined by our prayer life. Our ability to finish the work, the good work, that God gives us to do, is determined by our prayer life. Look at the the text, verse number 4. We we did verse 1, 2, and 3 last week, so we're going to pick up verse 4. Look at it with me. And it came to pass that when I heard these words... That I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted before the God of heaven and said. Now look here. Nehemiah has recorded nine, maybe ten, just a bit, depends on how you divide up his prayer. Nine or ten prayers in his book. This is the first one. The book of Nehemiah begins with a prayer and the book of Nehemiah ends with a prayer. It, it begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. So, so here is his first prayer. Notice And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and Confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and bring you or, or bring them unto a place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our hearts and in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. If you and I are going to complete the work that God has given us to do, what he has given you to do, then you and I must learn the determination, the consistency, the discipline of private prayer life. Private prayer life. We learn a lot about somebody by listening to how they pray. And you learn a lot about Nehemiah by listening to his very first prayer. So there's three things, there's three questions we're going to answer tonight. We're going to answer this. When should I pray? We're going to answer why should I pray? And then we're going to answer, how should I pray? So notice, when does Nehemiah pray? What causes him to go to the Lord in prayer? Look at verse number four. It came to pass that when I heard these words, I sat down, wept, mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So the men from Jerusalem had uh, come across Nehemiah's path. They had come back from their trip to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, remember, had inquired about what they saw there. And they tell Nehemiah about the ruins, about how the city was in disarray, about how the wall was broken down, about how the, the people there were in jeopardy. That although Ezra, the prophet, was doing a good work in proclaiming the word of God to the people there, they were still in a very difficult situation. And the Bible says that when Nehemiah heard this, that the first thing Nehemiah did was he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. You should take note of this. Prayer was Nehemiah's first response. Prayer was Nehemiah's first response. And this is, this, is what is, this is what separates Nehemiah from so many others, is that Nehemiah prays first. Nehemiah prays first. And it was true that you and I can do more than just pray. Nehemiah does. But what is also true is that we, we realize that we don't do anything until we at least pray. We must make prayer a first priority, not our last resort. Nehemiah makes praying a priority. Nehemiah, we, we highlighted this last week, Nehemiah is a man of action. 
Nehemiah is an organizer. Nehemiah is a motivator. Nehemiah is a great manager. Nehemiah likes to get things done. He builds the wall. You're going to see this in a couple chapters. He builds the wall in 52 days. I mean, he is driven. He is on point. He is on focus. But when Nehemiah hears that the wall is down and that the people are in trouble, he doesn't immediately just go out and do something. What Nehemiah does first is Nehemiah gets alone with God in prayer. Doesn't form a committee. He gets alone with God in prayer. We must make prayer our first priority, not our last resort. Nehemiah makes prayer his first priority. I want to tell you why. Because prayer is a pattern in Nehemiah's life. Prayer is a pattern. Nehemiah makes prayer a priority because he has made prayer a pattern. Your first response is not to pray if you have not made prayer a pattern in your life. In fact, if you, if you look at this, look at, look at verse number one. It says that it came to pass in the month of Chislu. You see that in verse number one? Now, it seems like that's just pointless details that, that Nehemiah is filling us in on, but it, but it really isn't. It's teaching us something about the, the patterns of Nehemiah's life. He says it's the month of Chislu, which for us is our December. He says, in December, I heard this and I started praying about it. And I prayed, I fasted, I wept, I mourned. And he says in verse 4, I did this day and night. Day and night I fasted. Day and night I prayed. Day and night I mourned. He says it again in his prayer. He said, I brought this before you. Day and night your servants have been praying to you. Jump down to verse number 1 of chapter 2. Verse number 1 in chapter 2, notice, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king. Okay, so here's, here's what you need to know. Nisan is like our April. So Nehemiah says, I'm going to pray day and night. Day and night, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to bring this request to you. And he does this for four months. He makes prayer a pattern of his life for four months. You know what happens when we read the Bible? When we read the Bible, we forget that there is space between verses and chapters. And, and we like to think of it as, well, Nehemiah prayed in chapter number one. And the very next moment, Nehemiah's prayer was answered. But did you notice that God doesn't generally operate in that fashion? God doesn't generally operate in this immediate way. God does not operate on your timetable or on mine. Isn't this how we pray? Lord, I need you to do this for me, and I'm asking you to be strong, and I'm asking you to give strength, and I'm asking you to provide wisdom, and I need you to do that by Wednesday afternoon. Isn't that how we pray? That's generally the pattern of my prayer life. Lord, I need you to do this, and I need you to do it right now. now. But what we're seeing from Nehemiah is, yes, Nehemiah made prayer a priority. But what we're also learning from Nehemiah is prayer was a priority for Nehemiah because it was a pattern. And one of the reasons why prayer is not a pattern in our life is because we see prayer as an obligation. 
We feel as if we're going to get in trouble if we don't pray. That's, that's what we think of prayer like. Like, like. like when your boss sends you an email and says, come by my office tomorrow, we need to talk. Whenever you get that, you know it's not good, right? Or when your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend tells you, hey, there are some things we need to, we need to talk about. Immediately, what do you do? Oh boy, what's this going to be about? What didn't I do? What flowers didn't I buy? What dishes didn't I put away, right? And, and we see it as some kind of, of obligation. We see it as some kind of burden. We see it, we see prayer as this thing that we just got to go do. Instead of seeing prayer as what it is, which is a conversation with your loving Heavenly Father because you know Christ as your friend. Prayer is an invitation to talk to the God of the universe as your father. Remember what Jesus taught the disciples? When you pray, pray like this. My father which art in heaven. That, that's revolutionary. Nobody in the Bible days, nobody in Bible days, and even people in religious circles today, they don't talk to God like that. They don't talk to God as their father. And yet Jesus encourages us. This is the way in which you can approach God. Why? Well, because you have believed on Christ. You have made Christ your friend. You've become joint heirs with Jesus. That you've been adopted into his family. He bought you when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And he invites you into this relationship with him. Nehemiah prays because prayer is a priority and because prayer is, is a pattern. When should we pray then? That's what we're trying to answer. When should we pray? And the answer from the Apostle Paul on when we should pray is all times. Everywhere about all things. When should we pray? All times. That's what he says, day and night. Everywhere. And wherever Nehemiah was, he was praying. In the palace, he was praying. At the office, he was praying. In his home, he was praying. He's praying. Man, all times, everywhere, notice, about all things. About all things. You know how easy it would have been for Nehemiah to say, hey, what, what, that's not my problem anyway, God. And you, you, know, you already got Ezra over there. and I'm sure, you'll, you, I'm sure you'll have something for them to do. No, Nehemiah takes it, he takes it personal and he takes it to the Lord. When should we pray? We should pray. Man, we should pray always, at all times, everywhere. And we should pray without ceasing. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? But one of the reasons why we don't pray as much as we should is because we don't think we need it. We think whatever, whatever problem is in front of us, whatever decision has to be made, whatever struggle, whatever challenge awaits us, we think that we can handle it by ourselves. You know the most, the most natural human reaction when we are given some kind of news the most natural human reaction is to go, okay, now what am I going to do about this? Now what am I going to do about this? Instead of saying, okay, God, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? Man, we should, we should pray because prayer, first of all, reveals our dependence upon God. 
Prayer reveals our dependence upon God. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 15? John chapter 15, Jesus says, Apart from me, ye can do nothing. Apart from me, ye can do nothing. And so my, my usefulness as a leader, my usefulness as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a pastor begins when I recognize that I am in total dependence upon God. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I cannot be the kind of husband to Amanda that Amanda needs. Without him, I can't be the kind of pastor to First Baptist that First Baptist needs. I can't be the kind of friend to, to my friends that I need to be. Without him, I can do nothing. Prayer recognizes my dependence upon God. It reveals that I am nothing without him. Why should we pray? Because it reveals our dependence on God. It reveals that we know that we need him for whatever we are facing. Second, why should we pray? Well, because prayer reduces stress. Prayer reduces stress. Ne Nehemiah prays because Nehemiah is troubled. He's in distress about the news that he's just been given. And, and rather than simply mourning or only mourning, rather than simply complaining, what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah prays. He takes his problem to the Lord. Notice it. He says, I heard this. I sat down. I wept. I mourned. I fasted. And I prayed. I prayed to the God of heaven. And Nehemiah prays because Nehemiah is in distress. Paul says it this way. Paul says, be careful for nothing... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto the Lord. Okay, did you hear that? Be careful for nothing. Now, the word careful doesn't mean cautious. That's not, that's not how Paul is using that word. Paul is using that word simply like this, full of care. Full of care. You know what we would call that today? Stressed out. Anxious. Worried. How many of you... Are worriers, my hand is going up because I have to admit, I'm in the family of worry warts, okay, right? How many of you are worriers? Let me see, come on, testify. You're in church, God, God's looking. And worry about this, and worry about, and it's very easy, isn't it? Very easy. What are we going to do if this happens? And what are we going to do if that happens? And what are we going to do? Right? We can easily find ourselves worrying. And what Paul is saying is, worry about nothing. Don't be filled, don't be full of worry. So how do you how do you empty out your cup of worry, your cup of stress, your cup of anxiety? Be careful about nothing but, here's the contrast, but in everything by prayer and supplication before, let your request be made known unto the Lord. So you got a cup full of worry. Paul says, pour it out in prayer. Pour it out in prayer. And prayer, prayer reduces our stress. It's very easy in our day. It's very easy in our day. To be filled with fear, with worry, with anxiety, with stress. And the remedy in the scripture is that you and I are to take that to the Lord in prayer. 
Now look here, if you're trying to do a good work, guess what you're gonna have? Stress. If you're trying to do a good work, guess what you're gonna face? You're gonna face some difficulties. You're gonna face some challenges. It's going to happen. And so the question becomes, when that happens, what will we do? Will we allow ourselves to be filled and controlled with this stress, this worry, this anxiety? Or will we, like Nehemiah, say, hey, where, I know where my strength comes from. My strength comes from the Lord. Prayer reveals my dependence on God. Prayer reduces stress. I, 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 I want to tell you this because it's very important to point out. That when we pray to God and God reduces stress, you should not hear that point as God gives you exactly what you asked for. Does anybody ever get exactly what they prayed for? No. Even the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, even he got a no answer from God. So simply because we're saying prayer reduces stress, we're not saying prayer means that if you come to God, that God's obligated now to give you whatever he asks for. No, no, no. So what does God do? What does God do with all the things I'm worried about or anxious over? What does God do with all the things that are keeping me up late at night or stressing me out? What does God do? When I pour it out to him in prayer, what I'm saying is, God, I need you to do something about this. And what God does is God replaces stress with peace. That's why late at night when you can't sleep and you're worried about something, no, 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 you know a really good thing to do is to pray. To pray. You say, well, if I do that, Pastor, I'm just going to fall asleep while I'm praying. Great. Great. That's, that's fantastic. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm so worried about this. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. And you're taking it and you're pouring it out to God. And as you pour it out, you know what God's doing in your heart? God's filling your heart with peace. You should never feel guilty about that. You should never feel bad about that. You should, you could, you should recognize that as a gift from God. As a gift from God that he is giving you peace in exchange for the stress. Prayer reduces, now, now, now listen, some of you, I know what you're going to do. You're going to say, pastor said it's okay to fall asleep while we pray. Some of you right now, I, I, already, I already see your mind working like that way. And that's not what I said. Prayer reveals my dependence. Prayer reduces my stress. Third, prayer releases God's power. Prayer releases God's power. Prayer can do whatever God can do. Prayer can do whatever God can do. Do you know why? Because you're praying to God. And many people are, are fatigued. They're stressed. They're worried. You're, you're trying to do a good work and you just, you're worn out. You're trying to manage life. You're trying to manage marriage. You're trying to manage parenting. You're trying to manage work. And you're trying to manage all of it on your own. And what prayer does is prayer taps you into the resources of God. Nothing short-circuits God's power in your life like self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency, you should write that down. Self-sufficiency self short-circuits God's power in your life. When you think that you can and you don't need God to, then God won't. When you think, hey, I've got this. I don't need, I don't need God to do this. I, 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 don't, I, I know the answer. I don't need God to give me the answer. I'm strong enough. I don't need God to be strong for me. Well, then God will not be strong for you. He will not 
answer you? Self-sufficiency short-circuits God's power in your life. And what does God want? Well, according to God's word, God wants to empower us. And God does, in fact, power, empower us by his spirit in our lives. But it's possible, Paul says, to quench the spirit. How do we do that? By depending on ourselves rather than depending on the spirit. So when we depend on ourselves rather than depending on God, we, we short-circuit, we quench, we put out the work that God wants to do in our lives. I tell you three things that God says he's always wanting to give you if you would simply ask him. God says these three things I will pour out in your life in unlimited measure if you would ask. Here they are. Wisdom, strength, and grace. Wisdom, strength, and grace. Read through through your Bible and you'll find these three things God says. You ask me for it and I I will give it to you in unlimited capacities. Wisdom, strength, and grace. But isn't this where the battle really takes place? The battle in our hearts when it comes to prayer takes place over these three things. You know why? Because I think I'm wise enough. I think I'm strong enough. I think I'm good enough. And so I don't need God's wisdom and I don't need God's strength and I don't need God's grace because I'm already wise and I'm already strong and I'm already good. And so Paul would say to you and to me in that point, So what you have to do is you have to remind yourself that you are dying every day. That without him, you and I can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things and nothing is impossible for us. Do you see? Why? Why can you be so confident in that? How can Nehemiah be so sure? Well, because it's God's wisdom. It's God's strength. And it's God's grace being poured out in Nehemiah's life. You want to do a good work? You you must make prayer your priority and pattern. And you should make prayer your priority and pattern because prayer reveals your dependency on God for which apart from him you and I can do nothing. Because it reduces our stress, God replaces our worry with his peace. And because it releases God's power in our life. That this is the way that God shows himself strong for us. Last one, how should I I pray? I gotta go quick on this one. How should I pray? And this is really the bulk of of the prayer. So this is really verse five down to verse 11. How should I pray? Whenever people in the Bible bring a prayer to God, they're, they're always saying to God, God, would you do this because... And then fill in the blank. They they always gave to God a reason for why God should answer their prayer. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they pray. If somebody prays a selfish prayer, you know what it reveals? Of a selfish heart. Somebody prays some kind of... uh, uh, canned prayer, what does it reveal? It reveals that they have, a, they have a boring relationship with God. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they pray. So a, a, a very important question to ask yourself while you're praying is why should God answer my prayer? God, can you do this for me because fill in the blank. So notice, notice what Nehemiah bases his his request on. 
God, do this because, notice, your character. God, do this because you are a gracious God. That's what he says. Look at verse number, fi- uh, look at verse number five. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. So Nehemiah says, God, you should answer this prayer because you're faithful, because you're great, because you're loving, because you're powerful, because you can handle this problem, God. So you know what Nehemiah is doing? The first thing Nehemiah is doing in his prayer is he is acknowledging who God is. This is essentially what worship is. Worship is acknowledging who God is and telling him it. God, I I know who you are. I know what you can do. Nehemiah acknowledges three things. He says, you're the Lord God of heaven. He talks about God's position. It's God in heaven. Aren't you thankful it's not God in the living room? It's God seated on his throne in heaven, not God sitting on the lazy boy in the living room. It's it's not God sitting at 1000 Pine, uh, Pine Avenue. No, it's God in heaven. He sees above it all. He sees over it all. He sees through it all. Our Father which art in heaven, Jesus said. When you pray, pray like that. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. He's acknowledging God's position. He says great and terrible, which is strong or mighty or awesome would be our word. God's power. And then he says, God, that, you're, you're the God that keepeth covenant. You're the God that keeps your promises. But, Jeremiah acknowledges who God is. Why should God answer Nehemiah's prayer? God shouldn't answer Nehemiah's prayer because of the character that God has. You are this kind of God. Second, Nehemiah brings his his sin before the Lord. He, He not only realizes who God is, Nehemiah is willing to admit who he is. He makes confession of his sin. He says, I confess my sin. Look at it, verse number Verse number six, verse number six, he says, and confess the sins of the children of Israel and we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept commandments nor statutes nor judgments nor commandest thy servant as thy commanded thy service, Moses. Jeremiah says, look, I confess my sin. And it's not just I'm confessing the sins of others. I'm confessing my sin, myself, my father's house. We, he says, have acted wickedly. We have disobeyed. The older I get, the more increasingly I am aware of my own sinfulness and my need for God's graciousness. And what a gracious God we have. That God uses imperfect people to do a good work in this fallen world. Isn't this what Paul said? Paul said, God has put treasure in earthen vessels. Jars of clay. That's all we are. Any of us. Cup bearers like Nehemiah. Prophets like Ezra. Authors. Pastors. Deacons. Parents. Children, none of us are infallible. Only God is infallible. And yet God, in his wisdom and in his plan, has chosen to use imperfect people, including me and including you, to accomplish his good work in this world. That's what he's chosen to do. 
God is aware that you are imperfect. God is aware of your sin. Are you? Have you made confession of it? Have you done what the what, what First Chronicles calls us? Humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord? Jer- Nehemiah, his prayer is based on God's character. His prayer is based on unconfession. So we must make quick confession of our sin. We must admit to God who we are. We must repent of our sin. Repent literally means turn from it. We must, we must constantly battle the sin that is creeping into our lives in order to be able to accomplish the good work that God has given us to do. Lord, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So, so that prayer, Jesus says in, in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us pray like this. What's he doing? He's, you're, there's going to be times in your life where you need to ask for forgiveness. That's what he's saying. It's based on confession. It's based on, con- it's based on character. Third, it's based on his confidence in God. Look at verse 8. Remember, I beseech thee. So question, does, does God have to be reminded? Like, like, does God forget? No, of course not. God doesn't forget. God, God doesn't forget what he's promised to do. Of course he doesn't. So then I, the, the second question to that would be, well, then why do the people in the Bible always do this, right? David prayed like this. Abraham did. Moses did. Almost all of the prophets did. Lord, remember, remember, remember. Why, why, why does he do that? Here's why. Because it helps us remember what God has promised. Not, not because it reminds God, but because it reminds us. John Rice says it this way. Prayer is taking God at his word. Prayer is taking God at his word. Watch this. Nehemiah claims these promises. Look at the promises that he claims. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, well, well, look what he's saying. Remember what you told Moses? Okay, here's a question for you. Where where are the writings of Moses? Where are the writings of Moses? That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When is the last time you claimed a promise from the book of Leviticus? When's the last time you claimed a promise from the book of Deuteronomy? Nehemiah is claiming promises from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, which implies this. Nehemiah has to know the promises in order to claim the promises. He has to know them in order to claim them. This is true for you and me. We must know God's word in order to be able to claim it. And the point is this. The strength of of your prayer life, the strength of my prayer life, is determined by how well we know the promises of God. How well do you know the promises of God? It's based on God's graciousness. It's based on, ne- on Nehemiah's recognition of his sinfulness. It's based on my sinfulness. It's based on God's promises. I got confidence that God, is, God will fulfill his word. And third, or fourth rather, man, Nehemiah's prayer is based on his commitment to God, on his obedience. Nehemiah gets all the way to the end, and here's the end of the prayer. Watch this. Now here, in verse 11, is where Nehemiah's request actually comes in. So he prays all of this. God, it's your character. God, I'm confessing my sin to you. God, I'm confident in claiming your word. And now, here's the big ask, right? Here's the big ask. Here's here's the request. Look at it. 
Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And here's, here's what he says, Lord, do this for me. Prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That's it. That's what he's asking God to do. That's what he's asking God to do. And you know when God will answer this? I already told you earlier. You know when God will answer this? Four months from now. God will answer this in April for Nehemiah. But look what he's asking God specifically. Prosper thy servant this day. You know what he's asking God for? You, you, want, you want to know that in, in our, our understanding today? He's asking God for success. That's what he's asking God for. God, may I be successful in this. Successful in what? In the good work that he knows he's about to do. I wonder if you've asked God to help you to be successful in your marriage. God, give me wisdom and strength and grace so that I may prosper in my marriage. God, give me wisdom and strength and grace so that I may prosper in my parenting. God, give me wisdom and strength and grace so that I may prosper in. He's asking God to help him to be successful in what he is about to do. Because, because, because why? Because he knows it is a good work. See, we, we, we believe this thing that we can't ask God those kind of prayers. I can't ask God to help me be successful at my job. Well, why would God care about that? I gotta ask God spiritual things. No, no, no. But you being successful at your job, at your place of employment, you doing a good work there, Jesus says, does what? So that men would see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Nehemiah is saying, I'm about to go ask this pagan, unbelieving king. Artaxerxes does not believe in the God of the Bible. Artaxerxes is not a believer. And, and Nehemiah is saying, I'm about to have to go ask him if he will give me four months leave. Just let me off work. And Lord, I need you to help me be prosperous in this. So that's his prayer. That prayer is as relevant today as it has ever been. That prayer is as relevant today as it has ever been. Lord, I need you to help me to be prosperous in the good work that you have given me to do. Because I got to go ask Artaxerxes... if I can have four months leave. You see? If you cannot ask God to bless the work that you are trying to do, then you're doing the wrong work. If you cannot ask God to bless the work that you're trying to do, then you're doing the wrong work. Nehemiah is a great pattern of a man who says, Lord, I, I need you to do this for me. I need your wisdom. 
I need your strength. I need your grace. But I need you to help me prosper. And then notice this. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah, in this passage, is praying for a pagan leader. That's what he's doing. He's praying for an unbeliever. He's doing what the New Testament calls us to do, to pray for them who are in rule over us. Pray for our leaders. To pray for presidents and kings and governors. To pray for them. And to do everything we can, the Apostle Peter would say, to live peaceably with them. This is what Nehemiah's pattern, this is what Nehemiah's pattern is. To do everything we possibly can to live at peace with them. How can we accomplish that? Well, you cannot accomplish it if you do not first make it a matter of prayer. If you do not first make it a matter of prayer. We ought to pray for those who are in rule. We ought to pray for those who are leaders. We ought to pray first that if they are not saved, that they, should, that they would be saved. We ought to pray that they would be saved. We ought to pray that the President of the United States would have somebody come into his life who would tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And true for the governor, and true for congressmen, and senators, and true for mayors, and true for city council members, that somebody would come across their path that would give them the gospel of Jesus. And we should pray second, that God would confound and confuse their wicked plans that lead us away from him. Lord, bother them, trouble them, confuse them. That's what the psalmist says, Psalms 89. I pray that all their plans of unwickedness, all their plans of denying God, all their plans of rebelling against the creator, I pray they would be confused and be confounded. They would look silly in the end. That's how we ought to pray. Then we ought to pray that if they are saved, that they would lead us in a way of righteousness, that they would have boldness, that they would have courage to lead us in ways of holiness. This is how you pray for people who are in rule over us. I'm telling you, the book of Nehemiah is a relevant book for 2022. But it's relevant in this sense, that we take it and we apply it to our hearts and lives and say, I have a good work to do. I want to do a good work. So Lord, that good work starts with prayer.